Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the transporter room this week, Carly. We've got a lot going on. Well, let me see. We were supposed to have a decision. That didn't happen. We have the Trump administration being the Trump administration. We have Captain Kirk falling off of a mountain. Why was he falling off a mountain? (laughs) We have had a lot. I mean, it's been... And now we've got... Now we've got... All of a sudden, how did all these people become fans of college football all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. The governor of Idaho is still fighting to defend his law, which has been in effect since July 1st, which does not allow trans women or trans girls who are student athletes to compete in the gender according to their identification. So now there's this lawsuit to try and stop the law, to put an injunction so that fall sports won't be discriminatory. But Carly, you were just telling me before we started recording that there's been a new wrinkle in that. Well, there's been a couple. One, one, the Idaho State High School Athletics Association has postponed when when the fall season starts. And actually, that's something they've been kind of hedging the date on for the last few weeks, mainly over when large school football starts. That's been a major sticking point. When do the lar- when do the large classifications in football get started? And they've decided to push back the decision at least one week on when all sports will start. The second thing is now that each of the college conferences are starting to say, no, we're not having it. And the Mount and Boise State school, Lindsey Hickox goes to is in is in the Mountain West Conference. The Mountain West Conference has shut down all fall sports this year. They've already made they've already shut down. And a number of a number of the not the only conferences that are trying to start up are the power five schools, the college football playoff schools. Those are the ones that are trying to get started, and two of those have already said no. Um, that's the wrinkle. Now, how this will affect the Idaho case, Judge Nye has to make it. David Nye has to make a decision. He has to make a decision at some point. But now this kicks the can far. This kicks the can farther down the road. Simply put, put because the main impetus of why he wanted to have a decision by August tenth. That was the day that high school sports in Idaho is supposed to start. One of the plaintiffs involved in the suit is a high school is a high school student athlete in Idaho. So that so a matter of an injunction against enforcement of HB 500 would have to be decided. Now that decision may be pushed back, and David and I could push his decision back. He could decide, okay, I've got a little bit more time to look at all the to look at all the information, look at all the data, and make a choice. Now, now it's still a, to me it's still a crapshoot, but I'm still going to maintain that. I have a feeling we're going to get a split decision. I mean, inclusion is going to get a split decision win. There, there will be a loss. The lawsuit will go, will go to court. There will be an injunction against enforcement pending the outcome of the lawsuit. And the A and the Alliance Defending Freedom will get their two, will get their two faces of the issue to testify in a countersuit. Wow. A lot going on. Yeah. And then, of course, we have, you know, the crazy people on social media who have been attacking me for two weeks because, you know, there are 109 organizations that wrote to the court saying this Idaho law must be stopped. And they wrote to the NCAA saying you should move your March tournaments out of Boise, the tournament games. And then on the other side, you have more than 300 women who wrote to the NCAA saying don't be bullied. 
you should ignore the trans activists and advocates and you should keep your tournament in Idaho because we want a level playing field, as they say. But one of the things that you and I noticed about that letter was it didn't have any names on it. There were a few names in a press release accompanying the letter, but they sent the letter without the names. You know, and, I thought that was weird. You thought that was weird. And that's what got me thinking when I was reading it. When I was looking at the letter, at first I was like, you know, okay, ho-hum, they're going to make their decision. But then I'm thinking, okay, who supported this? Because, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, you know that group down in Mississippi, that the Million Moms? You know, the, the people that always complain about Disney and the TV shows. Yeah, they one million moms. My, the reason why I kind of looked at that was because I said, okay, do you actually have 300 people? Now, honestly, I think they probably did. But my thing is groups like this. And and really, who is this Save Women Sports? Save Women Sports is is one woman is basically ran out of a house, ran out of a house in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's that's who this is. This is a this is really one or two people in the Twin Cities who run this. Just like that, just like that million moms thing is really a couple moms in like Greenwood, Mississippi, somewhere. Do they even know three hundred people? So I'm thinking, like, okay, who are your people? And it turns out they had three hundred nine names. That's great. They had three hundred nine people. That's great, including some kind of big names. Like, well, the only reason Mark we know who they are. It's because I did what every journalist is supposed to do. I asked. <laughs> I wrote well, an email to the NCAA. I said, hey, would you give us a copy of the letter? And the NCAA said, sure. But it wasn't leaked. It wasn't like we had somebody on the inside. It wasn't like I cracked their server and I found the letter and I published it. And by the way, I don't know if you remember, but on the letter that Save Our Women's Sports, Save Women's Sports sent to the NCAA, Mm -hmm. They put the states that the signers, the signatories, chose to identify themselves with. A lot of them have moved on from those states, but this is where they competed as NCAA athletes. So I didn't dox anyone. I just published the letter. Well, see, that's the thing. You, I mean, and and for you know how lately it just seems like anybody who's trans in the public eye is just getting hit is just getting slapped around. I didn't appreciate the way you got slapped around. Oh no, it was really evil. They brought up my transition. They brought up pictures of me pre-transition. They called me all these kind of names, but Carly, you and I both know if you don't have thick skin in this game, you're not going to survive. So right. I've got, I've got dermaplast for skin and it's, it's it's okay. I thank you for noting it, but it was pretty horrible for two weeks of of basically being harassed and having to use that block feature, which I'll thank God for Twitter being mm -hmm. able to block people. I wish they did the blocking instead of me, but you know, I do what I can. And here's the thing. That letter, it's about standing up for something. I respect that people have opinions. This is a free country. If you don't like something, you definitely should put your name to something and say, I am opposed to this. But don't sneak around and say, I'm signing this letter, but I'm not going to give my name. <laughs> well, well, I agree. And oh, and you said there were big names. Martina Navratilova right at the top, right? Yeah, Mar Martina Navratilova is there. Donna Devarone is there. And, but I really look at the interesting names. Like, I look at the I look at the interesting names like Jennifer Wagner Wagner Asali. Now, 
Now, Jennifer is the arch nemesis of a certain Dr. Veronica Ivy that we know. And yeah, and yes, you know, somebody close to her twi tweeted me saying, yeah, real nice, real nice dig at her in the caption. And I and I'll admit I responded and I asked one question. What 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 did what was in that caption that was not true? What was in that caption? The caption reads, Jennifer Wagner Sally reportedly signed up mainly because Dr. Veronica Ivy's dominant three and ten lifetime record against her. Now, what in that caption is not true? Mm -hmm. I mean, does hasn't Jennifer beaten Dr. Ivy 10 of 13 in a match print? That's well. see, them you see, that's one thing. People don't have fact, don't have the facts. And there's another signer on that. And I really think people need to pay attention at this one. There's a signer on the letter named Emily Cow. Now, Emily Cow was a college athlete. She played golf at Harvard. Who is that? That was in that was in the 19, that was in the mid-90s. Emily Cow is now the director of the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society at the Heritage Foundation. In other words, she's a K Street anti-trans hired gun. And notice whose name is on the whose name is on the name of that center. DeVos. Yep. Yep. Oh no. Same people who are, by the way, Richard and Richard and Helen, um, they're related to somebody named Betsy, Betsy. DeVos. Yep. Also known and, as you know, again, I, I, I respect that people can have their opinions, but don't bring your opinion to a uh, a fight where you're going to basically, you know, try and erase our existence. We can have this conversation without erasing our existence. Are trans women athletes, um, you know, uh, fairly competing against cisgender athletes? Well, let's look at the science. The science doesn't exist yet. So until it exists, why discriminate? I'm just really angry about the fact that people have made up their minds based on their high school biology class. Yes. But I'm, but I also look at all these people who claim to be these big feminists and oh, say yeah. that they're, that you're protecting women's sports, you're protecting women's sports and you're basically laying down with the patriarchy. How look can you support? Look who's supporting save women's sports. The, the the Heritage Foundation, yeah. the Concerned Women of, for America, all these anti-LGBT groups, it's disgusting. Hate groups. Yep, that's what they I are. I mean, the Southern Poverty Lines Law Center kind of knows what. And and again, we've had people, I had people jump on me on Twitter saying, you're calling them a hate group. I didn't call them a hate group, even though I think they are hate groups, but people who know hate groups. And there is one person who even who even said they didn't like my blasphemy for calling it a holy war. Mm. Well, what would you call what the Heritage Foundation wants to do to women's rights? What would you? And they said that that link wasn't true. There was a part where there was a part in the article I wrote where I actually gave a Bryn Tannehill, who always always has her fingers on the pulse on this stuff on Twitter about a couple years ago had a thread that basically that basically linked to all the Heritage Foundation's position papers on reproductive rights, women in the workplace, Title IX protections toward sexual assaults on college campuses, everything. Even even things pertaining to Title IX and athletics. Their position papers on why the on why we oppose these things. We're not lying about we're not lying on them if they wrote it. 
And that's what stuck in my craw. And that's also what stuck in my craw in regards to how you were treated. And also for me, yes, it's per. I know I need, we need to have thick skin, but for me, it's personal because when I'm not a writer and not a journalist, I'm a crisis operator for trans lifeline. And I hear people who have to deal with this ugliness every day, especially young people. I'm talking kids in in middle school and high school who have to deal with this vitriol, not just from, not just from other kids, but from adults, from people ought to know better. And to me, that's where, that's where it really sticks for me because, Hey, you know, Caitlyn Jenner said it best. I'm an adult. I can take if a kid shouldn't have to. And neither should, and neither should a woman who is, who is out front day after day trying to protect an entire state from this pandemic and, and to have some Liberty University dime store law school graduate in the Trump administration misgender her. Jenna Ellis, shame on you. Yeah, I'll tell you, name calling has become this sort of, went from the schoolyard to the uh, front uh, of the White House lawn now. This is something that the president has done, and now his supporters think, this is fine. Why not Jenna Ellis? Why not uh, call a secretary of health who saved countless lives in Pennsylvania a man? Well, maybe because it's disrespectful, maybe because it's not a man, maybe because it's a lie, maybe because you're just trying to distract us from the disastrous response to this pandemic that has given 5 million people the infection and 165,000 people are dead. The world's laughing at us about this. Of course they are. I mean, and the worst thing is now you've got this outcry about college football. Memo to all you college football players, especially you superstars saying you want to play. Don't do it. Don't. Uh, just shut up and dribble, as uh, Laura Ingram would say. But, you know, you know, the nice thing about it is Sue Bird isn't going to take that nonsense. She's uh, and and uh, other people who are out at WNBA players are supporting an opponent of Black Lives Matter. I don't even want to say her name. She's a part owner of the Atlanta Dream. And they are wearing uh, the campaign shirts for her opponent, Warnock, Reverend Warnock, yeah. Yeah. to basically create a uh, campaign that didn't really exist before. Their fundraising is up. They've um, received a lot more attention. And the reason they're doing it is because she went out to basically denounce the Black Lives Matter movement, which, by the way, if people don't know, was co-founded by out LGBT people. Exactly. But I am. But again, and this is what this is what frightens me about this coming election season. Is that in many ways, the United States truly looks like a third world banana republic right now. It really does to the rest of the rest of the world. The rest of the world is seeing how much of a of an armed madhouse this country's become. And I think it will get and I'm 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 afraid it will get worse as we head on farther and farther and farther and down down the road in this in this campaign year. And but going back to Dr. Levine in Pennsylvania, I 
I am I am floored by her grace under fire. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, I heard I went back and heard the the radio discussion where she was consistently and willfully misgendered. Yeah. And she wasn't irate. She was very calm and very direct and just said, please don't misgender me. Yeah. And and these people just pile on in and and I I wonder about some of the people, some of these people. Did did your you know our mothers growing up taught us that if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing. Oh, my dad taught me that, but yes, well, it's true. But it's the true. point is, our parents told us the our parents told us yeah. about the this is a golden. This is like this is a one of the golden rules. Yeah, say nothing. Say nothing if you have nothing nice to say. But that's not politics today, and you know. <laughs> Even if you're a famous person, you can be a uh, a bigot. Um, this week, I also was watching that William Shatner, Captain James T. Kirk of Star Trek fame, who loves to get into Twitter feuds, he was going on for six days on a rant about the word cis, which is short for cisgender. That he felt he was being harassed, that he was being insulted by being called cis. And allies and trans people alike were telling him, it's not it's not a slur. It's a word. It's a descriptor. So I wrote a little story about it, and much to my surprise, all of the William Shatner fans came at me for that because I dared to call him cisgender. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I I was reading that. And by the way, I, I really enjoyed that article. Well, thank you. I I'm in fact, I mean between that article and, and your article on Dr. Levine, those are, I mean, that was some great work. Well, thank you. And I know that, and I know, again, I know you've got the tough hide. You've been through this. You've well, been through this publicly, but I can still, but still, I marvel at your ability to keep taking the punches and keep moving forward. You know why? And I, I know it wasn't easy. You know, you know why I do it? It's because I got to write another story. This is about a young 26-year-old um, black trans woman. She has black girl, black trans girl magic. She's amazing. She is a victim of rape. She was child. She she was a victim of child abuse. She was a foster kid, and yet she has survived all of that and built herself up to be a creative producer at a ad agency in Brooklyn, who has collaborated with her and with Glad to create videos that will help people who are in lockdown, who are trans, who want to to know that they're not alone. And now she's created a platform for other underrepresented black, indigenous and Latinx, um, Latinx uh, folks to have their work showcased and hopefully make connections with like the whole Hollywood moguls to get their work out there. And this is just an amazing young woman who she talked to me about, you know, everyone's jumping on the trans train. Everybody's singing Black Lives Matter. Well, show us we matter. Get to work. Put these people in the limelight. They shouldn't be in the corners. She said 0.000% of black filmmakers are in the industry right now. We need to have more people representing our America. And I was just so impressed. And being able to tell that kind of story is much more important to me to be able to write, to, to raise her up than having to de defend being trans and not being a man and William Shatner and all that stuff. 
Um, all the Idaho L, you know, HB 500s in the world don't matter as much to me as this one young black trans girl. And you, and, and you see now, look at you becoming an, look at you being an accomplice. <laughs> look at you. No, but no, but I'm still that's on the important. couch though. I'm still on the couch. <laughs> hey, well, well, you know, I, I can, I, we're going to work on that. Yeah. But, yeah, but the point, yeah. but that, no, but seriously that, but that's at one level, that's what we need. But at another level, we also need, as a as a creative myself, we also need we have to we have to be working amongst ourselves. We have to work amongst ourselves, and we have to prepare. We have to be prepared to to fund our to fight for our visions, build our visions, and fund our visions. And we will have to do it. And trans people have to come together and do it. And enough about me, though. Talk about what you're working on. What have you been working on these days? Well. Right now, I've been at one level. I've been, I've been helping, helping get some new people, helping recruit and get some new people in the trans lifeline into trans lifeline for one. We've got job, you know, got openings right now, and I'm part of a group that's trying to help fill those openings at one level. Second level, staying in my, staying very much in my activism, um, working with working with a lot of groups here where I live in Connecticut and especially around the rent cancellation issue because that's going to rear its head again in a couple of weeks. The rent moratorium ends here August 25th. And in Connecticut. Yes, in Connecticut we the rent moratorium in has been pushed back twice. Pushed back twice. We're trying we're trying to go past pushing it back. We're trying to get full rent cancellation through the end of this year because it's needed. I mean, if you Starting for they're already filing paperwork for evictions before before the moratoriums close. They can they can start filing paperwork for evictions now. If you evict people, you're going to evict an estimated 125,000 people in the middle of this pandemic and this and this war. Even though Connecticut's done a Herculean job of staying of of keeping the curve relatively flat. This war is by no means won. And we've seen in other places, even in the Northeast, where there have been where there have been outbreaks. The contact tracing is not where it needs to be. Testing still isn't need, needs it is where it needs to be. And they're trying to fill those gaps right now. The last thing you need is to put a potential 120,000 plus thousand people onto the street during this pandemic. Then you're just gonna you're just gonna blow. All the work that's been diligently done, you can wreck it with that decision. That's why we're saying the working class of this state needs relief. And that's why you, you need to go beyond rent, beyond a rent moratorium again and instead cancel the rents and cancel the mortgages and also forgive mortgages on small businesses. Give them a give them a break, too, because a lot of mom and pop stores, I've seen a lot of mom and pop businesses go under. Right now, little people who put who just with a dream, little guys with a dream getting hurt in this thing. So those have been the biggest things I've been working on. And one other thing, I'm actually working on a graphic novel right now. Ooh. Yeah, I'm working with an illustrator on a graphic novel that surrounds two things, two things we've talked about our transitions and sports and how cool. those two intertwined in my life. And I decided I want to do a graphic novel. And in a sense, 
like you're saying why you do what you do. One of the reasons why, why I'm sticking in many ways, I want to continue to stick my nose in the trans athlete fight is at one level being an athlete, but at another, but at another level, one of the things I see in so many trans stories, and that's why the story, like the one you were just describing is so important is because people see us as an issue and not as human beings. We are people. It's not just about the issue behind that issue. There are flesh and blood human beings with hopes and dreams. There's something I say often that, you know, Sue Bird said it this week that, hey, my life is political. Mm-hmm. My thing is, I never wanted my life to be political. Turfs, transphobes, the Heritage Foundation, they made my life political. You put me on this ball field. I don't want, I didn't want to be on it, but you put me on it. So be it. I'd like to shift gears into sci-fi. I love Star Trek Lower Decks. What'd you think? Did you get to watch it? I saw the first episode in Star Trek Lower Decks. There's a lot of potential there. There is potential. There, there's definite potential in the in that show. Definite potential. I'm very, I mean, overall, I was I was quite pleased. It's fun. Well, first thing is it, it had it had a lot of potential because it was a very different idea. It, it was it, it was a very different idea. Let's take a look at the I mean, let's take a look squarely at the red shirt at the red shirts. Let's take a look squarely at the people in the lower decks. Let's take a look squarely at the people who, you know, in a sense, they're the the little cogs that keep the big starships running. Hopes, dreams, motivation, and another level, it's hilarious. Now, I will say, I will say this. I think it's a show that's gonna need that's gonna need a little time to find its stride. One. Oh, I- like every show, yeah. Yeah. At another level, I think just based on the first first episode, I think the Orville does it a little bit better. But, I mean, of course, live action versus animation. It's kind of apples and oranges in a way. But overall, I think that I think they're, they got something here. I they got something here and I think it it I think it gives you a good juxtaposition to what we saw in Picard. And once again, I thought Picard was beautiful and I can't wait for season two of that. In I a sense, this is a good, probably. yeah, I, but I think this is going to be a good way to good way to freshen up the palate and wet the appetite a little bit for Picard. So I'm interested in seeing what's next with this, with, um, with um, lower decks and where it goes. Yeah, me too. I'm also excited that in October we'll get to see Star Trek discovery return. I'm really excited about that and, and confused as to how it's going to happen. Uh, there's such a 900-year gap in, in the storytelling. It's, it's just it's blowing my mind. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I, I have no idea what to expect, but I'm really, really excited about all the Star Trek. They're even talking, believe it or not, Carly, that the folks who make Star Trek movies are trying to decide what the next Star Trek movie is going to be. They have... Star Trek Four, which was going to be the uh, Kelvin timeline cast with uh, Kirk meeting his father in some way, Chris Hemsworth. But that was shelved because of uh, cost concerns. The actors wanted money. How dare they? 
Mm-hmm. And there's the Quentin Tarantino inspired movie, which a lot of people say is based on City on the Edge of Forever. And there's another film that is a completely new cast of Star Trek characters, which, you know, we don't know much about, but all of these options could bring Star Trek back to the big screen as it also is enjoying a renaissance on the TV screen. So I'm, I'm excited. This is a great time to be a Star Trek fan. What I would, what I would really like them to see, see do with Star Trek in a sense. I, I would like the, I'd love to see I'd love to see something like a Deep Space Nine movie. Oh yeah. Sure. I'd like to see a movie set in that continuum. I agree. Let's find out what happened to Cisco. Where did he go? Is he coming back? Um, you know, the 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 um What We Left Behind documentary, I right. strongly recommend it. It is a uh look back, a retrospective on the Deep Space Nine series. It's really powerful, very, very, very well done. And I, I recommend it a lot, but I, I want to see more of those episodes. Absolutely. What do you think also about um, all this controversy over Star Wars? Have you heard that they're talking about erasing the last trilogy, the last three movies, and basically putting putting them sort of in the Kelvin timeline kind of thing, where that's only one possible outcome of the original six movies, and then creating a new George Lucas version of the six, seven, and nine episodes have you heard about this i've heard about it and i'm not for it <laughs> george if you wanted to say you should have been in on it well he sold it he sold it he sold well that's it my thing you sold it away and now yeah. you're gonna get all and now you're upset because well see oh, here we've got we got 40 seconds here's my thing george when it comes down to it you sold it away and now you want to have a say in it if you want to have a say in it you should have stayed in it yeah Maybe he's going to try and buy it back. Who knows? Well, Carly, this was fun this week. I'm really glad that we got a chance to chat because I always love picking your brain. I'm a big fan of yours, and I still think that you should accept the nomination for vice president. Well, if if Joe, if Joe Biden it, signs on to, Met, to Medicare for all, I would. Okay. That's my price. All Maybe right. National <laughs> health care for everyone built on a wellness model, and you got me. We'll see you next week. Steady she goes. You too. Live long and prosper.